Hello and welcome to episode four of Apologies to the Banana. I'm Anna. I'm Denzer. And this week we're going to talk about Rising of the Shield Hero again. Uh, took a short hiatus just because of real life applications, we'll say. What's that face? Trauma. What a thing to say, considering your real-life applications. <laughs> okay, um, it sounded like it was going to be easiest to talk about this episode by episode. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, so we left off uh, at episode four. And that was mainly post village, uh, the celebration thereafter, and the duel between the spear and the shield. So, because what is it? Mine? Mine? I don't remember. Interestingly enough, um, that story of, that kind of is re- is referenced by the spear hero Mm -hmm. and the shield hero during that duel is um the origin of the word paradox Mm, interesting the the story he's talking about for those who might not remember or haven't seen shield hero is the this idea of the ultimate spear versus the ultimate shield so a a spear that can break anything against a shield that cannot be broken who would win essentially right and that is essentially the theme kind of being explored in episode 4 in which the spear hero and the shield hero uh, duel Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I only watched this this morning so I should remember this better but they're fighting over Raftalia essentially because the spear hero believes that Raftalia is being forced to be a slave rather than consensual slavery, we'll, well call he, it. He's of the notion that slavery is bad, period. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very common theme today, and this may be a little controversial, um, but I'll just share my thoughts on it and people can react how they want to. Mm-hmm. But it's contextual. Right. And there has been many examples in the past on slavery, which was for the benefit rather than for the deficit of, right? So it depends on how it's enacted. Now, American history is a little bit touchy, and American history is a poor example of that. But Native American history, on the other hand, there were a few tribes who, when they were at war at each other, instead of just killing off the enemy tribe completely, you know, a massacre they would enslave and use the enslavement as an indoctrination into the tribe type mm-hmm. of thing. Even with the Romans, the captives of at war with the Romans would be first-generation slaves, but second-generation citizens. Right. So it was a way to indoctrinate and enculturate the people in which they conquered. Right. I think the word, other word you're thinking of is integrate rather than indoctrinate, which has some brainwash connotations. Well, I mean, it is. Yeah, because that's true. If you've, if you've read The Prince by Machiavelli, you, yeah. you're given very limited options as a conqueror. That's fair. So brainwashing is, it's that or kill them. So in my book, I'd rather be a slave than dead. That's fair. Not in all cases, but... In the cases of the Romans, for instance. Mm-hmm. What I find, back to the shield hero discussion, what I find really interesting is that they even included the shield hero at the festivities at all, because based off what I've seen, I know you've, you're all caught up, they would be just as likely to have excluded him altogether. And... Equally as likely, he could have just opted out of the festivities. So, kind of to jump ahead a little bit, I know there's the queen, which who's introduced in episode five, that maybe 
they're trying to like keep some of the stuff from her, even though she has her own spies. Yeah, it, it's not too clear yet what's happening with the queen so much. Right. All we know is that the king and the queen are separate, and that there is, in, in totality, there's two princesses that we know of, and okay. mine I didn't being know one. About the other princess. And um, the other one shows up. Um, episode eight, I think. You don't know if she's a princess in episode eight, though. Oh, is she? Wait, 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 wait. Savior of the Heavenly Fowl, maybe the episode after. It's not the, the nurse's aid, right? No. Okay. No. Um, maybe that'll be, uh, and maybe that's in episode nine then. Could but be episode nine. Anyway, the... The reason that he's still invited back is because of the contractual obligation of the summoning in which the heroes are there to protect the kingdom. And what that means is that the kingdom is trying to still have control over them by Mm -hmm. providing them funds for rescuing and defeating the waves. So wave defeated, all of the heroes are summoned, and this happens again later on as well. But what ends up happening is the... Spear Harrow gets informed by mine about the slavery status of Raftelia. Mm-hmm. Spear Harrow, being from another world, doesn't understand the slavery components and the legality of slavery within that nation. Right. And then, you know, challenges Shield Hero to mm-hmm. an honor duel, essentially. If he wins, uh, the Spear Hero wins, Raftelia gets freed. If Shield Hero wins, nothing happens. So, of course, fair fight. He didn't want to, uh, Shield Hero didn't want to participate. King comes in and says, no, you have to. Right. Or else we're just going to take her away from you by force. And so he's forcibly right. put into it. And funny enough, the Shield Hero actually goes about fighting and pretty much winning despite being not only the Shield Hero, which is defensive capabilities as opposed to the Spear Hero. Mm-hmm. offensive capabilities but if you have keen eye he's also 20 levels below the spear hero so it's 20 levels mm. lowered and uh level difference and the shield hero is winning interesting yeah i didn't catch that when i watched it um yeah uh me mine ends up uh of course sabotaging the entire thing because it's not bad. it's not good enough that she sabotaged his entire career as a hero she also has to see all evidence of happiness in his life destroyed it's almost like she's trying to make him a villain do they know about the uh the curse they form? do now in the current episodes but, but up not until that up until point. the point where we're talking about no okay and that's actually in that episode episode four when the first uh curse series unlocks mm-hmm. and raftelia actually pulls him out of that all right and it's actually quite suiting i think that the shield hero is so defensive because he's the shield hero but right. now he's actually also emotionally defensive too so he's protective against all fronts, I guess, is mm-hmm. a good way to do it, both physical and non-physical. So. Right. Um, what I found really interesting, because they almost didn't need to do this, almost, is that this is kind of the tipping point for Archer and Sword. Gosh, it almost <laughs> sounds like we're talking about Fate Stay here, because we just can't remember any of the names. But... Um, start calling... Ren Saber now. <laughs> anyway, is that they actually saw what um, mine did and they kind of stuck up for Nafumi to the point where they told the spear hero, hey, you're wrong. You almost lost. You essentially did if it wasn't for your girlfriend over here you would have been shown up in front of the entire kingdom. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. They're, this shield and spear hero, while they dislike uh, the shield hero, 
I say that wrong? No, the bow and sword hero, while they dislike the shield hero, it's based off the predicate of mine being correct in her accusation. And so Mm -hmm. they're childish and they think, and they're still treating it like a game, right? You go out and quest, slay the monster, come back. You're the hero then, right? Right. And that's just not the case. And and this kind of delves into the the philosophy of the the right of uh, of uh, abstinence. I'm going to call it. So it's it's not sexual. I know. But in in terms of when the right thing to do is nothing at all. Ah. Uh. So yes. don't start something that you aren't going to see through to the end mm-hmm. when it comes to grandeur moral decisions. Like you don't want to start a revolution and then not see it all the way through to completion. Right. Because even if your revolution is just, that's going to cause far more harm right. than good if you don't see it through to completion. Or if you overthrow the government and then don't. I guess this is what you're saying anyway. Right. Overthrow the government and then don't install a new government. Right. Because, fun fact, if you take a leadership class, they'll tell you that there's the leader in times of crisis and then there's the leader in times of peace. Mm-hmm. And usually they are not the same person. Right. That's why some people have problems with Lord of the Rings because he's this warrior king. But then how does he do in, in the peacetime? That's why Game of Thrones exists. Right. Not to taint this podcast with Western media. <laughs> um, anyway, I find them, that and the the uh, reactions of the bow and sword hero, that is, and the fact that now Fumi finally can see Reftalia as her own age and taste food, I feel like those were kind of the most important parts of the the episode as well as it being the first confrontation of the spirit hero to kind of suggest that maybe he's not totally right. Right. It's very interesting actually because what Naofumi is experiencing is actually a psychosomatic disorder Mm. in which because of a trauma he has set up a uh, a mental framework, a schema, essentially, mm-hmm. to, or a type of schema, I should say, but um, that can have physical interactions with his body. So, right. because of his distrust and because of his disgust, you're seeing that uh, manifestation in the fact that he can't see Reftelia for what she really is and has a distorted view of reality from that, mm-hmm. and he can't physically taste things. But as soon as that's cleared up through his trust and being able to breach that, right? And mm-hmm. that would be something that they do in cognitive therapies, actually. Um, part of the Socratic questioning is getting you to question your own beliefs and arrive to the decision and come to the new conclusion on your own by Socratic questioning. Mm-hmm. And Reptilia doesn't Socratic question, but shows physically that his thoughts are incorrect and then as soon as he's able to correct that thinking error mm-hmm. the symptoms start to be alleviated and in cognitive therapy that's how it, it's treated but in psychodynamics as well the whole premise um, of psychodynamics and, and the idea behind their psychoanalytic therapy working or psychoanalysis working is the notion that you have unconscious conflicts, interpsychic conflicts that you bring out into the open and then reabsorb in a healthy and appropriate fashion and that alleviates the symptoms. And that's what you kind of see as well within that the end of episode four. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to move on to episode five then? Sure. Okay. Because I don't have anything else to add for four. Sort of took poor notes on four. Let's leave it at that. So this was... Crying too much? <laughs> sure. <laughs> D- didn't you know I'm a soulless, heartless sociopath? <laughs> That's why you like Korean dramas. <laughs> right. Oh, gosh. Um, so lots of things happened in five. This is kind of where they start 
it's less about kind of establishing the core cast necessarily and uh, laying down the, the the background and exposition what have you it, this has felt more it felt like an accessor some sort of accelerant if that makes sense where a lot more things start getting put in the same right. episode because it's more more like you're in a video game in all honesty yeah because suddenly they're going on quests they're they played the gacha got philo um et cetera, et cetera. It is a little interesting, too, though, because if you think about it in terms of building a house, mm-hmm. the first couple of episodes, one through four, is kind of like the foundation, right? Right. It's a slow process. you got to fill it up, wait for it to harden and stuff like that. But then the rest of this, what's going on now is like, all right, we're actually going to start making the structure of the anime. We're going right. to add content to it. Here's the new characters. Here's more ideas. But the foundation is already laid yeah. in stone. So you have meaning associated with all the new characters. And yeah. you can kind of get a gist and predict what's supposed to happen. So that way they can throw that in your face and be like, gotcha. <laughs> and then throw in their plot twists. Right. Which is like building a house. You have a plan. The plan doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> plan to build the house, and then you don't. It's even worse when you're in Michigan. Gosh dang it. Um, so this was... Well, let's talk about Fila first. Yes. What are your initial thoughts? If you can remember them. Yeah, my initial... Well, it's interesting, because... So, the fact that at the end of that episode, mm-hmm. I like Philo's personality, but I'm not sure. Okay, there's a lot to cover here. So, fan service wise, right? It's Lollicon. Right. And you see that at the very end of that episode, right? Right. All of a sudden, ooh, naked blonde chick. Although, she's literally a chick. Not... <laughs> yeah. Uh, for context, they uh, do essentially kind of a poll lottery, take this egg, wait for it to hatch. They get this little baby chicken thing that they can use to pull carts. Except it grows up very quickly. It's not a baby chicken that's pulling, like, a, a cart. It's like... A bird the size of a horse. Think of an ostrich. A, a chocobo. Like yeah, a chocobo. Yeah, yeah, That's probably better than ostrich. It's similar comparison. I don't know. It's those bald heads and necks. That... <laughs> chocobo are better. <laughs> but yeah, chocobo. <laughs> anyway, so it turns out she's essentially like a queen. Yes. That, can ha- that has shape-shifting powers, and we're kind of getting blending five and six here. So the the Philo queens, mm-hmm. um, they have the ability to disguise themselves as people as well as the ability to um, disguise themselves as regular members of the flock of mm. Philo. So her Philo queen form is the big fat, or she's not fat, but the fluffy bird where she's got a lot of fluff. Yes. And you know she's not fat because in... Uh, the episode after that, you see Raftelia sleeping in Philo, and that sounds weird. But most in of her, her feathers, yeah, her most feathers. of her size is her feathers. Okay, is what I'm trying to say. But she can shapeshift into a person form in order to disguise herself and make it look like she's a shepherd or something like that, where she's protecting the flock. Or mm-hmm. so it's a, a camouflage mechanism so that you can't discern which one's the queen because queens are the valuable among the. Uh, the Philo Interesting. Flock. Interesting. And so, yeah, it was a really lucky pull for the Shield Hero, which, of course, right. no surprises there. He has to have some sort of luck. Right. And he has had some. It's just this is the most obvious case. Of right. It. Um, the other piece of luck is him winning the race, despite magical in- interference, again, from mine. 
for for context again mine and the spear hero kind of show up at the village that Nafumi and Raftalia have been staying at and states that due to the spear hero's exploits that he's going to take over and reign as lord and in order to pay for everything they're going to levy huge taxes you know taxation is theft and all that yes <laughs> and well the, the thing that really gets them is they are recovering from this is the town of loot right. so they're just recovering from the attack they've lost family like i don't know if they anyone died in that attack but Probably. buildings are damaged bunch of stuff is damaged and it's like you know what we're gonna do we're gonna come here and give it to this noob and then we're gonna charge you extra money because the government always fixes things right and if you live in america or even michigan you know hey let's raise taxes to fix our school systems and our roads wait that was 10 years ago what happened to all that money i wonder huh government's really good at fixing things that's my little political spiel but <laughs> Like, when it comes to the individualized notions here, in times of crisis, reducing Mm -hmm. the tax rate so that people can get back on their feet, fix their own properties up, their individual properties, because individuals are much more invested in fixing their own stuff. Than some corporate entity. Right. Than saying, oh, yeah, we'll give you our money and you'll fix everything for us. Especially when the nobleman doesn't even know what currency is worth. Right, right. And not only that, but they, the ones who survived the attack, saw the knights arrive, fireball their village, and then march straight through without even paying any heed to trying to help the survivors Right. to that. So it's like, yeah, sure, I'll trust the kingdom that completely abandoned us. Yeah. And so they turn to Nalfami as uh, to for ask help. for help. Yeah. yeah. And this is also... This is also the first appearance of the queen at the first, the beginning of the episode. And so we see that she's talking to one of her spies and that spy shows up again later during this confrontation and hands mine a... Diplomatic travel is where the queen is. Mm. So she's traveling abroad. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. Um... hands mine a letter a, a scroll yeah yes. a letter a scroll which infu- for some reason infuriates mine and she, that's when she challenges Naofumi in the spear hero's stead to a dragon race essentially essentially it is a dragon race so except one of them's a bird except one of them's a bird so now Fumi uses Philo in her bird form because they don't know that she's the queen yet. And um, the, the spear hero uses a dragon. What did you think of that scene when she gets handed that letter? Because that was interesting timing, first of all. And the way that she worded the the challenge almost made it sound as though the queen had declared the city of or the town of Loot under Nafumi's protection, which would be my guess or would have been my assumption. Yeah, and. So the queen is reasonable-minded. Right. And you learn in later episodes, I'm not sure what episode it takes place in, but um, we'll get into more heaven, or heavenly. We'll get into it more heavily. Um, yeah, it's in episode nine. So the... Melty is the oldest sister, or not Melty, uh, mine. Mine, okay. Mine. So, Melty is the younger sister. Spoiler. 
but uh, mine is the eldest sister. But she's also not the crowned princess. Ah, I so see. she's already in this uh, position where she has authority, but she but she's never going to have absolute authority, right? And the queen, since it is a uh, uh, what is it, a matriarchy, the queen can uh, overrule the king's rulings, right? So the the king is more like the ambassador for the queen and, and mm-hmm. whatnot, supposed to be acting in the stead. And the princess, um, mine, mm-hmm. is supposed to be acting in the queen said, mine has more power than the king, sort of. Um, but mine's little sister, Melty, has more power than both the king and the, the um, mine. mine. Yeah. And Melty is the crown princess. Okay. So there, there is this uh, power s- struggle switch um, okay. Within the family, so there's conflict within the family, mm-hmm. but the king is in a bad position for himself because he's so used to being authority and power and whatnot. Because there's still royalty, the king is still above everybody else. Mm-hmm. And then he marries into this other family, mm-hmm. and suddenly he's the bottom tier. Still top tier of the well, state, but lower tier of the internal hierarchy of the state. Right. So. Or at least of his family, because we right. don't know if there's lords and, well, we do know if there's lords. Right. But, but of the central uh, kingdom right. anyway. And they are, so there's conflict there, but because of the backhanded and underhanded tactics that mine is using, it it may give you some uh, inference into why she's not the crown princess. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> so and, there's conflict there already. Yeah. That being said, the queen is more objective. We're not sure whether she's for or against the, sh- the, the shield hero, but from what it seems as of right now, she is for her people. Mm. And so what we end up seeing is the spies of the queen coming in and reporting honestly about it and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that, after, because, no no spoiler alert, but now for me wins the race by like a beak's length, (laughs) literally, (laughs) Um, despite having everything held against him and whatnot like that. Right. And... Well, you know what they say about shields. No, what do they say about shields? I don't think they say anything about shields. I was just going to say, oh, they're really <laughs> stubborn, but then I realized that didn't work. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, but yeah, so he wins the race, and then Chocobo Philo turns into Big Bird. <laughs> sure. Because of the weird leveling system in this world. Right. Okay. So the Philo also respond to leveling much like the... Demi-humans. Demi-humans, yep. Where they mature and grow as they increase in levels. Mm-hmm. I just really hope that Raftelia doesn't become ripped. Oh, gosh. <laughs> She levels up. She just becomes Armstrong with yeah. like, the Raftalia wig. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, I really didn't like the CGI in this episode. I there's, yeah. there's the first really any of the episodes. It wasn't as bad later on, or it wasn't as noticeable, but it was still yeah pretty noticeable. There's so the CGI within this episode I agree but there's worse to come and like they're doing the best with what they have yeah and thank goodness it was only in like a couple of particular scenes right it just yeah we're not watching berserk here right one of the things that I think really threw it off was that the movement of Philo yeah was slidey right her feet didn't match the speed she was going Mm-hmm. So she just kind of went whoosh. Like if you see someone who does the moonwalk really, really well, 
right. it's really impressive, but it seems really out of place. Like it just yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. Or uh, I had a thought and now I lost it. Uh, uh, oh, it's not as bad as Love Live in the first season. I don't know if you ever watched that. Uh, entire dance sequences. This was a a show about school idols. Mind. So the the songs and the dances were key, and they were the worst looking parts. It got better in the second season because they finally got money. But you know who did it good though? Treasure Planet. <laughs> you don't even realize how good's Treasure Planet. Oh was. my goodness! So. Until you watch it looking for it, mm. you don't realize that Silver's arm and leg are CGI the entire time. No way. Yeah. Dude. They're, they're animated in the entire time. It's ridiculous. Like, sometimes you can kind of tell, like, when the whale scene. Mm. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen Treasure Planet. The galactic whales go... <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. Um... But anyway, yeah, and then there's one scene in more current episodes with monsters that are CGI. Yeah, I noticed that with the dragon. Yep, yep. The dragon. Dragon. But yeah. Oh, speaking of the dragon. Question about the dragon. The dragon is the same episode at... No, the dragon... The dragon is episode eight. Famine. Did the famine happen? In episode eight. The famine yeah. happens in episode eight. Or that's where they're addressing the problems because of the famine. So the plant... So the spear hero and the sword hero's mess-ups are in the same episode. I don't remember. Because I know one of them... Wait, 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 wait. The spear... Oh, no, 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 sorry. The, the plant episode is seven. The famine is eight. Okay. Are we just skipping yep, yep, Fetch yep. Quest the episode, then? Fetch Quest the episode. Well... Because this one sort was... Sort of. But he has a superpower that comes out in that. Where he can take and alter the, cons, uh, the, the that properties a, of like plants. organic material. That was seven. Okay, so seven. But that's important. Yes. Because we don't know to what extent that can happen. Right. And if he can do that with people. Ooh. So if he can take away things like curse statuses later on, because he can already implement and increase holy water, or not holy water, but uh, medicine, mm. to the point where Granny's like, <laughs> which you don't see until later, but Granny comes back and she's okay. Okay. Um, but um. okay, it's. It's very interesting to see and to think about because when he takes that seed, takes away the evil growth factor mm -hmm. from it and makes it so that it is a very hardy plant that mm -hmm. will survive famines and whatnot, the question automatically in my mind becomes, all right, can he do something like that with the waves? Mm, interesting. So can will he be able to potentially alter the monsters in the waves and have like a conversion uh, effect where instead of slaying the monsters, he can alter the monsters to fight for him rather than Bring against them him. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Bring all the monsters to Jesus. Excellent. <laughs> um, while we're talking about plants, because we just kind of lost the episodic structure, but that's fine. I don't really care. Six comes after seven. Six. Yeah, sure. <laughs> You're the math guy between us. Seven comes after six. I messed up. I goofed. I admit it. <laughs> um, I do want... I really want to talk about the wrath form. Oh, yeah. Because I thought that was really cool. And very interesting the way that they used... Um, I don't know if this was intentional. But up until that point, Nafumi had been kind of associated with green. And I think even like the, the jewel in his shield had been green up to that point. Yes. As soon as he hits wrath mode, he becomes the, I don't remember what it's called, but the opposite color of red, like red eyes, the, the jewel's red. He has like right. 
the skill tree as those red tattoo things. I think it becomes red in four too. Yeah, it kind of starts and then it yeah. stops. Um, but during the battle with the dragon, it also starts up his fire, like the the fire motif, um, in tandem with his curse form, which is also very interesting because he had been up to that point associated with plants. So that makes me think of like like a life death type of thing, if that makes sense. Where normally he's the springer of life, mm-hmm. but you tick him off, he becomes a harbor harbinger of death. It's like kind of like the all medicines are poisons thing. Well Yeah. In in part, but also with that sorry, I must have said a P word again. Um Yes, probably. Well, and part of that, it's interesting because it also takes along the psychological notion of the shadow. I knew you were going to yeah, say that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because his greatest enemy to what he cares about is, in fact, himself. Mm-hmm. And you see that without him having control over that and without him dealing with the stuff that makes him upset, mm-hmm. it becomes very dangerous when he enters that state. But later on in the series we learn more information about what exactly um, happens with his cursed state and he the reason I think it's interesting that he has um, the savior of the heavenly fowl is because there are seeming to be parallels upon Naufemi and um, Christ and Christian Judaic Mm. uh, well not Judaic in Christian uh uh, mythos and the the character goals mm-hmm. and so it's it's very interesting because now for me unlike uh, Christ isn't doing it voluntarily so much but had it thrusted upon him mm-hmm. and that makes the story very different but he's he, unless he finds some way to deal with it, and you see this actually uh, ringing out in other animes that are multicasting at the same time. For instance, uh, Mob Psycho 100, a really good one that does kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. In which, unless he can understand how to control these feelings, he gets out of control and people get hurt, as Raftelia did. Right. And it's a weird curse. It's a curse that doesn't respond normally. It's kind of like... You can almost trace it all the way back to to Naruto and before, where he had the the Kyuubi. I think in I don't know, like in Rurouni Kenshin, there was his Badosai form, where he would just kind of sociopath. Right, right. But there's that. I mean, it's a very old idea. If yeah. Jung is correct in the collective unconscious. It's much older than we can remember. But th- the notion is nonetheless. Um, partially psychodynamic in which the proper way to deal with your shadow is to bring it out into acknowledgement and accept it and work with it acknowledging that you have the capability to be evil to be bad and that's one of the things that's warned against in um a book called ordinary men Mm. or yeah i think it's ordinary men um about polish police officers during world war ii with the nazi takeover Mm -hmm. and how they would help hunt down the Jews and how they turned these ordinary police officers these good people into essentially the same thing that the Nazis were themselves and that each individual today especially that's the thing that we weren't supposed to forget right but we're forgetting it and the thing is is that every single individual has the moral capability to become corrupt Mm-hmm. Every single person can have the pressures on them placed in such a way for them to become horrendous people. And only by acknowledging your flaws and acknowledging that you are, in fact, susceptible to that, can mm-hmm. you ever take the steps to prevent that. But you have to first realize that you are, in fact, naive and that you are, in fact, dangerous and that you are, in fact, manipulable. And yeah. only then can you help prevent that from happening. Right. And you can see that the other heroes aren't, they aren't accepting that, partially because they're not, 
being confronted with it in the same way. Right. But even when, like the the spear hero, the end of his duel where he his where the the bow and the the sword confront him and say, "Hey, you actually lost." He doesn't want to accept it, even though that's generally the normal way that anyone from our world would confront another. Right. Is hey, you're actually wrong. Not to like blow up your ego or anything, but. Well, I, I think with him too, he has this notion of himself, mm-hmm. in which he is the hero, because everyone keeps telling him that. And heroes are hold a certain responsibility and moral ground within the notion of and in his mind. Mm-hmm. And he tries to fulfill that notion. But any information that comes across to contradict that, he's in denial of. So he's partaking in defense mechanisms, mm-hmm. um, which in Freudian, tech, uh, Freudian psychoanalysis would, well, psychoanalytic therapy and psychoanalysis both right. would be heavily analyzed because it, that's probably going to be the root cause of his downfall is right. the fact that he's participating in avoidance of bringing something into yeah. consciousness or conflicting with that by participating in a defense mechanism of denial. Does does the spear hero have I don't think it's necessarily called a curse form. This is from what little I remember from Wikipedia mm-hmm. but he has doesn't he have like something similar I don't know if he does yet in the anime sorry to spoil things not that I know of okay he, he hasn't had one in the anime yet okay um, the most recent episode there's an enemy that confronts them more powerful than any other enemy so far and they call out only one person as a hero mm. and that's the shield hero interesting so they're going by strength of character that rather than... Sort not, of. Not strength of character. But. It's both. Because... Mm, well, Naofumi's growing more than the other heroes. Mm-hmm. And Naofumi has the Cursed series. Mm. And he's playing around with it. So... He's trying to integrate the shadow. Right, right. And so... That's where things start to come in, in the uh, savior aspect, and the parallels between Christ and and now for me start to come over with Christ taking on the sins of the world, and now for me taking on the. Um, well, so far it's been the rage, right? Wrath. The wrath, right? Right. Um. So, assume because of of course they would have the potential for their own cursed forms essentially what do you think that the other three forms would be because i'm thinking for spear pride would be very obvious um sword maybe i don't want to even say sloth but that's the only one i can think of just due because the fact that he just left that corpse there but that could also just be an you know, I don't know if it's going to be based off of Seven Deadly Sin stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I know there's uh, the first instance mm-hmm. is kind of paralleling that with uh, Nalfami's curse series, but it does end up changing a little bit. Does it? Okay. It does. And the question is, again, what is a hero? Mm. Archetypically, the hero is essentially um, compound or compounded of all of the greatest people that ever lived. Mm, the paragon. Right. Abstracting everything that's good about them and combining all those abstracts into one entity, and that is the hero. Right. So if the hero is supposed to be the conglomerate of principles and values, then in order for them to be heroes and grow stronger, they have to take upon themselves, which... Now, for me, kind of has mm-hmm. with the wrath portion, as you mentioned, right. some aspect of the world upon themselves and become a avatar of that aspect, mm-hmm. and that's what makes them either a hero or a villain, um, depending on which aspect you choose. 
and wrath is one of those things where you can have righteous wrath or you can have unrighteous wrath. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those uh, split borderline things where part of right. the reason why he's the protagonist, I think, in particular, is because he has the he uh, he's on the knife's edge. Right. With the other heroes, it's harder to tell. Especially because we know very little about them. Right. Um, and also what might come up to be fulfilling those knife's edge stereotypes. Right. Right. Um, let's see. Speaking of stereotypes, let's talk about tropes. Because I noticed a couple that were subverted. What about, what about you? Okay, these are these are just like the uh, the general anime things that I've noticed over the years, mm. where there's always the uh, like the the seamstress. She has a very common um, that very common personality of she's the the girl with the glasses who gets really excited about a very specific niche thing. Yeah, and in this case, it's sewing, which you can see. I think it. I know it was in Lock Horizon. Um, that's the main one I can think of. But usually they're either like the tsundere or they're the overly excited one. Whereas the the village nurse it, during the plague episode, she was the uh, kind of the the passionate, angry one, where she's like, "You're nothing but like." callous jerk or whatever because of right. the way that Nafumi was acting which is usually the personality of the main the main female character so normally what would happen especially in like a, a harem anime is that they would just be added to the main cast and become a harem and they Nafumi would just have this gaggle of girls following him around um which he kind of has. Well, sort of, except, you know, one of them's half a raccoon and the other one's a bird. <laughs> so he's got a little bit of Tesla in him, I think. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the bird's even white. <laughs> oh, gosh, if Philo ends up being the love, <laughs> the love interest, we'll just... <laughs> okay. Well, there was that one episode in the Hot Springs. Right, Where but that was the way I interpreted it as was it's like a, a father bathing his child, his like little daughter. Not what I meant. Okay. Um, when Raftelia and Philo are competing to get the uh, boar item. Right. Right, and Philo explicitly states that he she wants to be his mate. Yes. But the vibe I got from that was like the way a little girl says that she wants to marry her dad. Or maybe she's like a duck. Or maybe she's like a duck. <laughs> or the first person she, 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 she sees, she imprints on. Right. And she's like, yes. Okay. It might. <laughs> it know. might. We'll have to see before we can really understand those... Uh, Philo's biology there. Yeah. But that's the question I want to pose to you. Do you think... So, at this point, it's very clearly established that Reftalia is kind of having this, like, it, the very least one-sided romantic inclinations towards Nafumi. Yes. Do you think it's similar to Philo, where it's kind of like you're looking up to this person and you just really respect them, kind of like the way... No. Okay. You think it's as an adult to an adult? No. I think it's different for Philo, almost incomparable, um, because Philo is a, she's an animal first, right. and Raftelia is partially an animal, but, but she's, she's not a demi-human. I mean, Raftelia is the demi-human, yeah. but Philo is full bird. Right. And if she's full bird, then mating Meh. is... A little sketch. Right. But with Raftelia, because she has the human components and she's matured, mm -hmm. so she is a young adult, you know, she's probably yeah. experiencing some sexual desire towards 
uh, now for me in some regards that she hasn't really uh, it it hasn't become an overt thought she hasn't but there are probably um, physiological responses towards the presence of now for me that she's experiencing but she did grow up really quickly so right there's some of the uh, mental knowledge that isn't there hence why she says um, what was it we can't kiss, I'll get pregnant. Yes, yes. But uh, yeah. that also has to do with sex education because, you know, she's been a slave and then For her parents her died when she was like six. And you, from my knowledge, you don't teach six-year-olds the birds and the bees. That's like for 10, oh. 11, 12, maybe a little before that, right. nine. But so she wouldn't have exposure to that. And... Seeing as how the shield hero is not sleeping with her, he wouldn't really, that conversation literally wouldn't come up, you know? Right. Especially because he, he didn't see her going kind of more through puberty. Right. The only comment he ever makes about it is, wow, there sure are a lot of lollies in this town. Right. Right. Um, speaking of the Hot Springs episode, so at least with like the early 2000s strips because that's essentially what I grew up on the Hot Springs episodes would normally be the an exploration of that like sexual tension between the main character and the, the love interest right instead we got the development between um Reftalia and Philo as kind of rivals but also it's a triangular relationship right right but also kind of gets them to the point where they don't hate each other and they can cooperate rather than just mindlessly trying to well it's it's kind of like a sisterly love like a sorority sisterly sisterly love um type of deal and it's quite interesting because i think it's going to get to the point where reptalia just wants to be around now for me Right. Period. It doesn't matter whether Philo is there or not, or what uh, Shield Hero's relationship is with Philo so mm-hmm. much, so long as she gets to be a part of his life. And that's usually the way it goes with harem tramps, uh, tropes, uh, tramps too. But <laughs> um, it's going to be a little different because they're actually developing it to the point where they understood that there was a rivalry, a triangular relationship. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, due to the slave nature and due to the animal nature that's different, right? it's going to be strange. I hope, personally, and this hasn't happened in the, in the series yet, and I don't know. Um, it doesn't look like it's happened in the ongoing light novel either, because it's still ongoing. Right. At the end of the day, I, I'm, with the knowledge I have now, I kind of hope now for me dies before anything happens, between relationship-wise. Interesting. And... Part of that has to tie in with his title as the Heavenly Savior. Mm-hmm. And, or what is it? Heavenly, Savior of the Heavenly Vowel. Um, yeah, Savior of the Heavenly Vowel. With that title, him making the ultimate sacrifice at the end to set things right, after taking upon the wrath of the nation and the wrath of the people. Right. And having his followers becoming uh, involved within creating the new world after he fixes the catastrophe. Yeah. And I could see it happen um, because if it was like a shonen anime, if we were talking about Naruto, I would say absolutely no way. But this is very clearly for older adults. I would even say older adults who have been raised on the shonen tropes because they're taking what I'm interpreting as the token tropes and acknowledging them and say showing how they have consequences beyond just the oh you defeated the dragon okay now what right which that's what I've been like looking at at the spear hero as he's kind of the token shonen character right but in a world where the shonen character doesn't work right um so what do you think the... So cl- clearly there's like some sort of source for the magic, right? That's how they got 
the four heroes from their worlds to um, the world of Shield Hero. But the way that I saw the the unlock of the curse form almost seemed to imply like some sort of deity or game master type character because rather than it just saying hey congratulations you unlocked this thing have at thee it was like do you hate everything um mm-hmm. there was a con there was a, a confirmation process that had to take place right right well it's very interesting because i think it was the it was either the greeks or the romans that had the notion that emotions were deities mm. you were possessed by and that's why they had um the one for lust the one for rage and all these different things the greeks then the romans because the romans took the greek yeah yeah so it must have been that but it, it's very interesting because so being on the battlefield like they were mm-hmm. it changes a person right and multiple things happen on the battlefield especially within the close combat uh, scenarios like that where what uh, normal reservations a person would have are completely out the window so someone <clears throat> who might be a uh, an, a good genuine person mm-hmm still may do something that's completely uncharacteristic of them in that situation. Oftentimes when you see um, catastrophe hit, most people look for emulation, a model for emulation. Mm -hmm. So they look towards their superiors, they look towards a leader, they look towards someone to see what their response is, and that's very, very primal Mm -hmm. in humans. Children do it all of the time. When they encounter something new, the Mm -hmm. first thing they do is look towards their caretaker to see what their response is to something new is. And Mm -hmm. if the uh, caretaker responds in a particular way, the child encodes that as the meaning of the uh, object or incident. Right. People are no different when it comes to catastrophes. People look towards someone. They look towards someone of status or someone that they are supposed to look up to, that they've been told to look up to, in order to interpret what it means. For instance, uh, 9-11. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew what it was. Like, it happened, and we thought it was awful and terrible. People nobody died. nobody knew what happened. Nobody knew what happened. No one knew what to think about it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Bush comes out saying, we're going to war. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, that creates the entire framework. Right. Of terror. The war on terror. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens in those kinds of situations and on, on the battlefield and, and young children and whatnot too. So with what I hope happens with the other heroes in, in shield hero mm-hmm. is catastrophe. And it kind of happened a little bit already, but what I hope they realize is that now for me is the symbol for em- or the, the idol for emulation. Right. And they start trying to mimic Nalfami's behaviors mm-hmm. because their own are shortcoming. And that would also fit into his title of the Savior of the Heavenly Vowel. Because, mm-hmm. again, tying back that to Christian um, mythos, that's also what the Savior in Christian mythos yeah. is supposed to be, which is the target for emulation. Yeah. And the thing is, is that as much as it might sound weird for the average like viewer to think of anime using Christian themes they actually use it a lot the entirety of Neon Genesis Evangelion is based around Christian symbols which just kind of a cursory glance over the symbolism there it's it's really obvious they're called angels they're fighting things yeah it's interesting too because Christian symbols were stolen in a sense, they're not actually stolen. They're, they're adopted more accurately from uh, Judaic symbols. Mm-hmm. So some of the symbols transferred over because they share the right. Old Testament. The Old Testament is the Judaic text. Yeah. Um, and also, they take some symbolism from Egyptians and some other right. places as well. Like the the Ankh, for instance, is the symbol for rebirth. 
mm-hmm. and Egyptian. Uh, Life and rebirth. Right. And the Christians originally symboled for uh, Christian uh, and Christ and stuff like that was fish. Right, because fishers of men. Right. But that transition to the cross later, um, I'm not sure when the date would be for exactly around that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing around the 400s. Probably. But the transition was to take the symbol of the Ankh, mm-hmm. and they took that and repurposed it towards their own purpose, because it actually ended up matching very nicely with the message of Christ as well. Right. So it's very, very interesting to have that incorporated in that. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, too, the original Yu-Gi-Oh card for um, the art on the Yu-Gi-Oh card for Monster Reborn mm-hmm. was the Ankh. Which would make sense. Right. But they actually ended up removing that because the censors coming to America for some reason for us being the nation of uh, you know all religions are welcome here you can practice your own religion so long as it's not hampering the liberties of others. Yeah. We're very very good at censoring a whole ton of stuff for very yeah. unobscure reasons, especially things that are associated with Christian Judaic yeah. notions. It was. I remember when I was um, reading up when I was in middle school the uh, the differences between the dub and the sub in of Tokyo Mew Mew. I don't. I know you probably don't know that one. <laughs> Just in another token anime, like Magical Girl anime, essentially. Uh, we won't get into that here. But essentially, there's this one character who I think was Western. She uh, she kind of was involved more with, like, Western. She might have been Christian. I can't remember. But her her weapon was a whip, where and the hilt was cross-shaped. So I think it was supposed to, like, her attack had something to do with it, some sort of cross or whatever. But in the English dub, Mew Mew Power, they just made it a regular whip, which I thought was really dumb. Yep, yep. It's it's quite interesting to see the differentiations between uh, the treatment of particular religions mm-hmm. and then the ignorance surrounding them. Right. And don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about any one particular uh, religion at, right. At right now. What I'm saying is, is that the ignorance of religion it doesn't matter to the people who are evaluating the censorship or the propagation of it. Right. They aren't from the ones who are deciding what to censor and what not to censor. Uh, what not to censor seem to be ignorant. At least I hope they're ignorant of um, what they're doing, mm-hmm. because. Otherwise, they really wouldn't be doing that um, at all in a nation that's supposed to be free. You know what I mean? Right. And there are some things that need to be censored. I understand that, especially things that are are provocative. And what I mean by provocative is calling forth violence, calling forth to a particular thing. But any individual particular symbol. For instance, the swastika. Now, a lot of people might think, oh my goodness, Nazis. But at the same time, the swastika still retains a uh, positive value in a lot of Eastern cultures. Mm -hmm. And the Nazis actually took it from Eastern cultures and bastardized it, um, the meaning of it, into their uh, symbolic. So the Nazis tilted it, like they rotated it like 25 degrees type of deal, Mm. um, because the original one is vertical. Right. So. Right. And depending on which way the arms are extending, so either the top one is facing to the left and the bottom one's facing to the right, or the top one is facing to the right and the bottom one's facing to the left, mean different things too. Interesting. Or, yeah. Kind of like the right. how in yeah. Christian cultures, if you inverted anything, that meant it was a sign of the devil. Right. Right. Yeah. Except for six six six, the six six six, the mark of the beast, is something separate. Right. Yeah. Because if you turn that upside down, it's just nine nine nine, and that's an area code. I guess six 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 could be too. It is. But, but also nine nine nine. A. Also nine 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 is the first game of the nonary games. 
plunger. <laughs> nine hours, nine day, nine people, nine doors. It, it's funny because I can just imagine like a meme or a joke where someone sees that game and they're like, "Oh, that's nine nine nine. That's a cool game." Turns it upside down. Ah! Turns it right back up. Oh, that's a cool game. Yeah. <laughs> just entertain yourself for a couple of minutes, turning it upside down, flipping it around. Oh my goodness. Uh, I think this is time to probably for us to be done because we just talked for like 10 minutes about not shield hero which is fine <laughs> just not what we planned is it ever yeah um any last thoughts what is what did i say <laughs> oh that's what i said okay just one and now for me does a really good job at playing within the system in order to cause economic growth, mm. but also so that there isn't sort of this moralistic challenge. So he enters into business deals and agreements, mm -hmm. and he'll do things on the moralistic side of saying, I'll credit you, but you're not going to get it for free. Which right. I think is interesting, too, again, tying into the notion of the savior, because it isn't so much um, that he's doing it for no uh, expectation of change. Mm -hmm. He's physically mandating that people treat and behave a certain way right. towards him in order to receive the help. Right. Right. And in order for them to accept his help, they have to accept his conditions. Yeah. And it's kind of forcing them to see to see him as an equal partially because he's a hero so he, they're expecting th to get things for free right but also because he's the scum of the earth and right they have no like social obligation to treat him as an, a human essentially right interesting so there's some interesting parallels there and I really like that mm -hmm. yeah I'm excited to... How many episodes are there? 12 right now, I think. Okay. I'm excited to catch up on the rest of the series for next time, then. Right, you will right. be. I'm sure. You will be excited, because there's some new revelations that are like... Fantastic. Mind-blowing, which you guys might not understand. But Yeah, it's just noise in the wind. It's the universal sound for mind-blowing. Right. All right, so we'll just call it here. I'm Anna. I'm Denzer. And this has been Apologies to the Banana. Thanks for listening, guys.